is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. We are going to review Lower Decks, Episode 5, Season 3, called Reflections. But we're going to start with the news like we always do, and we have a few more interviews that you, Tony, did on the purple carpet on Star Trek Day. So let's start with your interview with Henry Alonzo Myers, the showrunner of Strange New Worlds. Nice guy, right? Very nice guy. Um, I put him in the same category as, you know, as Terry and Mike and Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. You know, he doesn't wear his fandom as much on his sleeve, but he is a genuine fan for sure. And we talked about season two. An interesting perspective they took on season two is that they're not what he said is they're not holding back. And they're not, they're pretending it's the last season, so they're not doing things in it, you know, where they're kind of, you know, if they've got a good idea, they're not saying, let's save that for season whatever, you know. And uh, so maybe that's why they decided, or that's his way of explaining why they've decided to do the Kirk thing now, you know, because they're like, we're going to get to it eventually. Well, let's just rip off the Band-Aid and do Kirk. Um right. Although, you know, I think it's a pretty good bet that they're going to get at least another season or two. Oh, yeah. And in fact, he says that, like, I kind of pressed him, like, have you been given a green light? Uh, you know, and he's like, well, you know, they've got their the ways of doing business. But then he said, yes, we are working on it. But it's not official. Whatever. Right. That means, you know, so. Yeah. Well, how could they not be thinking about it and having some ideas? Yes, but. You know, writers, they don't do things unless they're being paid to do them. So right. um, even if the season doesn't have a green light, they at least have enough runway to have discussions and, you know, plan ahead, as it were. Yeah. Now, the the thing that a lot of people are glomming onto is he uses phrases like season two is crazier and bigger. And, you know, it, it may sound broad but it, what he's saying is everything that we did in season one we're just going to do at a higher level because we saw what worked going to do lots of drama we're going to do comedy it, you know so um he did say that they're doing something in the season and i don't think he means the crossover in this case that star trek has never done before um i assume he's not talking about the crossover because that's you know kind of openly announced so right i think he's talking about something else you know we constantly hear about the big swings from anson <laughs> so you know this is all all in there i don't know what did you take away from the interview well there were a few things i mean i know that you you were talking to him about each character getting more time because there were some characters that they just didn't get to do stories for and we've seen clips from the Ortegas episode but did you have a chance to ask him about number one and you know because she's never she hasn't had much. She seems to, she's had like one big episode, but generally gets sidelined a lot. No, I did not. Um, oh. I, I, but now I don't remember where I saw this. It was probably someone else's interview. Maybe he said it to me and it's just not in an interview. But you know, he said that the number one thing is a big deal in season two. And it's really part of Pike's journey because he's now past all the oh i you know i don't know if i should even be here crap you know that's done right. now now his mission is i need to save number one so it sounds like it's going to be more than it's not going to be like lower decks where they wrap up the cliffhanger in the first <laughs> right you know 
you know, I think there's going to be more, more to it, even though he was rather squirrely about like the big bad and an overarching arc for the season. And basically it sounds like they're not done with the Gorn and they're not going to introduce a new big bad, a new big threat this season. Yeah, I don't, I mean, my take on the big bad, I don't know why we need a season big bad. I've never thought that we needed one, really. Um, <laughs> and you know how I feel about the Gorn. I think everybody who's ever listened to our podcast knows how I feel about the Gorn. I'd be happy if they just went away. But we'll see. I still enjoy the show very much. So I'm still willing to go, you know, to go along for the ride and see what they're going to do. A Gorn showed up this week on Lower Decks, if you were looking closely. Yes, I, I noticed. <laughs> I know it is, it is the old Gorn. Yeah, the loincloth and the whole nine yes, yards. It was okay. goofy Gorn. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> so let's move. Speaking of Lower Decks, I spoke to Tawny on the red carpet or purple carpet, as it were. She must have been fun. She's got so much energy. I love that woman. Yeah, she's fun. And I've met her enough. Like there's some of these people I've talked to enough where they start recognizing you and you kind of pick up where you left off, as it were, because they know like, oh, your Trek movie. I could talk to you in a different way than I would talk to the guy next to you who's with, you know, some kind of generic press outlet. Yeah, I've definitely found the same. Like Ethan Peck right away remembers me when I interview him and is sort of willing to get right into the discussion versus the ones who are still sort of giving you the generic and safe answers. Right, right. Um, some people, no matter how many times you talk to them, will still give you the generic, you know, a Patrick Stewart and a Keith right. Goldsman, you know, they're kind of, you know, even uh, Michelle Paradise, um, even, you know, uh, Sonequa, <laughs> yeah. the kind of heavily trained, you know, media relations, like, you know, they've got their talking points and they're going to use them, damn it. No, and they don't get nasty notes from anybody afterwards. So, right, exactly. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. yeah. My favorite thing was her talking about all of the pitches. She's, you know, she's constantly pitching Mike. And apparently she was pitching stuff for the Strange New Worlds crossover. So some of what we're going to see in that episode, the live action season two Strange New Worlds crossover, in case you guys hadn't heard the news, is, you know, her and Jack are going to be on the show in uniform, in live action. And some of what we see will come from her. What I really liked when she said that, like she said they that they really invited us to play and to collaborate. That was her quote that she said to you. And that is such a massive contrast from legacy Star Trek, where everybody knows the stories. If you wanted to change a line from thank you to thank you very much, there was a phone call and 20 minutes of waiting and discussions with the writers, and it was a very big deal. You know, the other big takeaway maybe was um, she said besides the first episode her favorite of the season is episode seven which she called bananas and she referred to a fringe character and said strap in for this one doing the math that's going to be the peanut hamper one episode six which is going to be next week is the ds9 episode yes and episode eight is the crisis point two episode um which we've already got a clip for so things are kind of ramping up for the second half of the season, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, the first half of the season has been pretty mild. Yeah, this episode, not as mild, definitely. Right. Um, uh, which we'll get into. But uh, yeah. D- was there anything else you thought interesting from the uh, Tawny interview? 
Well, I like that she said they've been listening to the fans and she and that the fans were saying like the pair-ups are good, but it's the same ones over and over. And so she talked about, you know, having more adventures with all four of them, like like the first episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's just a couple more interviews that'll go up within you know, some. There's the Mike one and the James McKinnon one where he talks about Picard makeup. It's uh... the only other thing to talk about this week before we get into the review is it's September, as you know, um, which means we're kind of heading into the Christmas holiday season. And so more and more merchandise is coming out, Star Trek merchandise, which I think is good. And you're seeing more coverage of it on Trek movie this week. You know, so we announced the Blu-ray for Discovery season four, um, which is going to be Blu-ray, DVD, Steelbook. That's coming on December 6th. You know, all the special features. The Picard season two is coming in the second week of October. We're still waiting on Strange New World season one and Prodigy. It looks like those may not be released until 2023. Well, Prodigy, they still haven't aired the rest of season one. Yeah, but they're going to release a... As I far as I understand, they're going to release the a Blu-ray of the first 10 episodes, even though they don't call it a season. It's like oh. the first half of the season. Obviously, Stranger Worlds is going to get a release as well. Right. Speaking of Picard, if you've noticed, there haven't been a lot of books this year. But yet suddenly this week, we've got two book reviews on the site, one of yeah. which is for brand new Star Trek Picard tie-in called Second Self. Like all of the Picard books since the first one, they've really not been about Picard. He's barely in them. And uh, this one's all about Rafi and another major legacy character. We kind of don't want to give it away, but it's it's worth very much worth reading. I'll just give you a hint. If you're a DS9 fan, you'll definitely want to pick up this book. It's written by Una McCormack, who's the best, I think. And a huge DS9 fan. Yeah. So I mean, she you, loves them all, but I feel like she has a special, a special Deep Space Nine thing going on. Yeah, and the book actually kind of goes back in time and goes into the Cardassian War and the occupation, and so it's it's really very much worth checking out. And that book came out last week, um, and then you just did a, a different book review for a book that came out this week, right? Yeah, so there's the Star Trek cookbook, which is not the same one that, that Ethan Phillips did, but has the same title. But the author, Chelsea Monroe Castle, she loved the Neelix one anyway. But um, <laughs> she was a I interviewed her too. So the book is gorgeous. I highly recommend it. It's beautiful. It's creative. It's written in universe. Um, and she was so much fun to talk to. Like by the end of the interview, we were just talking about Star Trek things. She's uh, the real deal. She takes these gorgeous pictures. She really makes the recipes over and over and over and has people taste testing and tries to be really creative with it. And I just think it's a great whether you're if you're if you like to cook, I think it would be really fun to make the recipes. And if you just like to read this kind of stuff and look at beautiful pictures, it's it's a beautiful book. So I recommend it. And the one thing I want to manifest for her <laughs> is because we're she was talking about how she wants to cook with Captain Pike. And I was like, imagine, I said, you should go on the Star Trek cruise, get them to pay you to go on the cruise and do cooking demos with Anson Mount. 
That would be so, so much fun. Is he going on the cruise next year? I, I don't know, but I'm putting that out in the universe for her because <laughs> I want that for her. It just sounded so perfect. And she was, you know, she had to submit everything before Strange New Worlds. So she couldn't include any of the stuff that he's been making. And then she watched all these episodes where he's just cooking and cooking and cooking. So uh, I just, I feel like that would be, I told her she should also just do the Captain Pike cookbook next. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun, you know. And, the, but she's great. She's so worth reading and listening to. If you see more interviews with her, check them out because she's great. Um, and we've got reviews of some comic books coming up this week. The Lower Decks comic and the special 300th issue from Joe. Now, for collectors, there's also a bunch of stuff happening. EXO, who's who makes these crazy, amazing uh, foot-tall figures. They cost $200 a piece. Yeah, but it's high-end stuff. Yeah, not very high. action figure toys. Yeah, not for your kids, for sure. But we have a review up this week of the Discovery figures that Saru and Michael, season one. You know, just amazingly detailed. Jeff Bond writes these reviews. He's kind of super collector and model maker. Um, and he just sent me the one for the Mir Sulu uh, figure, which is just super creepy looking like it they really <laughs> nailed it but like when you look at this guy because you know because sulu had that kind of just creepy guy vibe in that mirror mirror episode oh, yeah more than and, a vibe <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they really nailed it um so look for that review um this weekend and they just announced an archer and a locutus and i saw a bunch of stuff that they put you know showed off at comic-con and even in Chicago. And this company is just, it's weird. Like, all they do is they make these expensive Star Trek figures. And there's just so much stuff coming from them. So they are not slowing down. There's a Playmobil. If you guys remember last year, there was a $500 Enterprise they put out. They're, they're not stopping either. They just announced a $300 giant Klingon Bird of Prey. You know, with lights and sounds from Star Trek Three, Because, you know, all the kids out there. Love Star Trek three. Um, and, uh, you know, but you can, you know, it's, it's got courage and you can, you know, and there's lava and it's, you know, it's cool. It's amazing. I just, I can't believe that this stuff is even being made and, but apparently there's a market for it. Yeah, I think this is also for collectors. Let's be perfectly honest. Yeah, this is not, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, for kids as it were, but on the more um, affordable front, the first wave of playmates, you know, playmates from the nineties are back with Star Trek is out. There's a phaser, there's an enterprise, there's a bunch of figures. We'll have a review of that stuff coming up that's much more affordable. And that's out now. The Prodigy first wave is going to be next year from Playmates. I'm just counting the days till that. <laughs> but, you know, there's still not plush stuff. That's uh, all figures, you know, because that's right. kind of their, their thing. And I think there's some role play stuff coming eventually. The last thing is uh, the Scopely who make Starfleet Command. Um, or Star Trek Fleet Command, sorry, uh, which is a mobile and PC game, have just added an expansion for Deep Space Nine. This is like when they added expansions for Strange New Worlds and for Discovery, TNG. So this game started as like a Kelvin game years ago, and it and it's wildly popular, actually, believe it or not. <laughs> And uh, they keep on adding and they've added Deep Space Nine. And to kind of celebrate that, they did this panel with some cast members from Deep Space Nine. 
Yeah, they had Nana Visitor, Kalamini, and Terry Farrell. And they had Scott Kalura doing the moderation, which he's good. I mean, he's... um. No, it was, Yeah, they, so they worked... Yeah, because they're a gaming company, so they went to IGN, who yeah, do great gaming coverage. Um, And Scott is great. He knows his He's really job. good. I've seen him moderate panels at the Paley Center. He's really good. And it was... I would say, like, there weren't any huge revelations... I mean, I watched the whole thing. It's very fun to sit and watch. Colomini doesn't do a lot of these things. So it was really fun to see him be part of that. And talk like he just talked about how much he and Avery Brooks would be laughing, like all the time they spent together laughing on set, which isn't something that you picture when you hear about them filming Deep Space Nine. Yeah, exactly. Because everyone kind of talked about how that set was a bit serious compared to the TNG set, which was running concurrently. Yeah. And he said they would have uncontrollable laughter and they had a very close relationship. So that was really nice. And then Nana said that when they, a fun one from her, when they filmed the episode fascination where everybody's falling in love with each other, you know, because of Loxana, um, she said that was the first time she had a big scene with, with Siddig. And she said, that's what made them go, Oh, something's going on. And she said it took a while for them to act on it. You know, eventually they got married, then they got divorced, whatever. But she said there was an inkling of something once they played it. Mm. So that was fun. And I th- I mean, Terry also talked about how she used to play Star Trek when she was a little kid. So there's all kinds of stuff in there that I just think it's a very entertaining conversation and well worth your while. So the article, which includes the this video panel, is on the site so check that out let's switch to lower decks again to review lower decks what do you say yeah good idea (laughs) reflections is the title of the episode which i think has has multiple meanings but we'll get into that Um, yeah absolutely so what's your hot take i thought it was a really nice mix of what they've been doing this season so far where the the stakes for the characters are high but the sort of big universe stakes are not um, lots going on. I thought they packed in more stuff than they have been as of late. And it sort of started or continued some storylines that now I'm very curious about getting more for those. And I loved the switch of Boimler and Marin are kind of swapping roles. So I enjoyed it very, very much. How about you? Well, I think it's the funniest episode of the season. It's up there with the first episodes. I think these two are now kind of the two best episodes of the season. Yeah, but definitely, I I liked how it was funny, but there was some almost heart-wrenching stuff in there, obviously, with the Rutherford storyline. Yeah. The Mariner-Boimler storyline was essentially just indulgent fun for the most part, although it too nicely fit into both of their season-long arcs and so the show's doing really well of developing these arcs within these stories and and what i liked is we finally got some rutherford because let's face it he hasn't had an arc he really hasn't had anything to do all season long he's just kind of been along for the ride for the most part yeah i would agree with that and eugene is so talented and i think he did a really good job you know because he had to play two characters um, which is so classic Star Trek, I was, right? I was gonna say an age-old Star Trek tradition. So, what did you? How long did it take you to figure out what was going on? You know, when when the red uh, Rutherford, you know, because the, the, his visor turned red. Yeah, right? I mean, it turned red, and his 
nightmare was him without the without the implant thing. Yes. So when he woke up as this other Rutherford, like what did you think was happening? No, oh, I you know, I'm I'm not a, I don't stop and theorize. Oh. And it, and it told you what was going on so quickly that I didn't I didn't stop to to come up with my own theory. Did you figure something out right away? Well, no. I I like at at first I thought is this a timeline where he never got his implant? Was my first thought. So I didn't think it was like like immediately dismissed mere universe, but I did think maybe this was a different timeline, a what if guy. Uh but then the Tendy thing was the clue. She said she unlocked something, and I figured this must be a suppressed memory, a suppressed right. version of himself. But there was a little bit of, like, maybe this is an alt timeline. It could have been. But he was very different, obviously. Right. He hated the Cerritos. <laughs> yeah, he thought the nacelles were stupid. And good, Rutherford loves the Cerritos. Yeah, he thought it was stupid to put engineering there, and they were the ugliest nacelles he'd ever seen. <laughs> yeah, he called it a junker. He called yeah. It- yeah, so he, you know, definitely a different guy. But the book, you know, as we learn later, he's an angry person. You know, he's very, right. you know, which is because you know, the, you know, the signature catchphrase of Rutherford is okie dokie, which he made fun of um, because that he's the opposite of that. He's an angry young man, basically. Yeah, no, I felt like this storyline raised so many new questions, which I loved about it. Because so now we have a little more of it. We know a tiny bit more about his implant. But we know there's a big mystery there. And I'm also curious as to why now everything's being triggered. Like, why did he start having the dreams now? So as well as who's part of this conspiracy and what was he doing and what's he covering up and how many people are involved and how big is it? So it's a it's a great storyline. I'm not sure there's a there's much to the now because the way he explained it is, you know, whoever did this tried to essentially erase his memory, but it didn't work. And so what we learned is all of those glitches for two seasons was this suppressed memory, uh, the suppressed personality, including the, you know, when he thought he liked pears. Right. Um, <laughs> and... Tendi found it because she's, you know, sciencey and medically um, and unknowingly unlocked it. Yeah, but he'd been having nightmares for a week. Yeah, but I think it's just been building up, you know, where it just kind of came to a critical mass, you know. Maybe. Um, I'm not sure there was something triggering it that week. I think the more important thing you know, is is just moving on to this next mystery of who these guys were in the you know because we saw a glimpse of this in the season 2 finale and this is the first time they've picked it up um of there's these guys who put this implant in them and now we know for sure they're Starfleet guys uh, head up you know someone high up in Starfleet essentially they were using him because he was good at engineering while he was I guess at the academy um could be and something blew up some project then they decided to erase his memory and give him an implant and there's some big high-ranking people involved there's at least an admiral a captain and a commander yeah so what is this project Um, is it related to that project they talked about earlier when they said they're gonna have to 
work with the Carlsbad on some big project. I wonder, could there be a connection there? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I hopefully they resolve this this season and we find out. Yeah, I would hope so. Because they really teased us with this at the end of season two. My bet is they're going to, you know, that's what the finale will probably be partially about, at least. Right. Since I think we've accounted for all the other episodes <laughs> at this point, anyway. <laughs> well, not nine, actually. Nine's still a question mark. Right. So, but, you know, even though this storyline was kind of a great character study for him, heartbreaking at the end as they, you know, the, these two personalities were fighting. Um, and then eventually Rutherford wanted our Rutherford. What should we call him? Young Rutherford and our Rutherford? I was calling him good Rutherford and bad <laughs> Rutherford in my notes. But bad <laughs> Rutherford isn't really bad. Yeah, he's just young and kind of a jerk. Well, just kind of angry. And he came around like at the end, he's like, keep those friends. Like he gets it. Yes. And such a wonderful Star Trek message that his, his secret weapon in the race was his friends. Yeah. You know, where, whereas the other guy was all like, I've just got a huge engine. <laughs> his friends were a lot like him because his his fake mariner goes, okie dokie. <laughs> yeah, they weren't. <laughs> they were just like offshoots of Rutherford. <laughs> exactly. And of course, even though we have this great Rutherford story, they wove into that some major, you know, re- references because it turned into a whole Tom Paris thing. Yes. But that worked because... He, you know, Rutherford is all in on Starfleet and it's the, the Delta Flyer is cool. And he even wore the suit. <laughs> yes, but that was fun. Did you think that we might be getting another Voyager cameo, though, during that period? Oh, that he would, you know, have created one of them? Yeah, I was envisioning. I'm like, well, the Delta Flyer has multiple seats. So I kind of thought that he was going to. We were going to see Tom Paris again. Right. Well. Tom and Harry or something. Or like Harry. That. or Yeah. Because yeah. finally Garrett would, you know, because, you know, waiting. he'd do it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and they should. Somebody should just use Garrett. Yeah. He would have been perfect, too, but it made more, you know, but it's a better Starfleet mess to have his friends be there. Yes. But maybe they could have thrown Garrett in there in addition, you know, because Boimler would have been so excited. I know. But there's not enough seats. Is there of the Delta Flyer, right? Because I think it is only three seats. Now. Yeah, there's not a lot of seats. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm sure they'll find a way to get Garrett into Somebody the show. needs to get Garrett in one of these shows. We need some Garrett, is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, he is so ready. Uh, you know, like how long, what's that phone call going to be like? Hi, this is Secret Hideout. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's been, and could I please not be an ensign? <laughs> right. No, yeah. But, but if I have to good... be, I will do it. He's a good advocate for the franchise. He knows it all. He's watching it all. So they should definitely use him for something. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But so, and just to wrap up the Rutherford story specifically, I also think that they are building towards him and Tendi in a relationship. There was just something about the way she was with him at the end. And she was so devastated that she may have done something wrong. And then she just threw her arms around him and she was crying a lot. So I feel like they're building up the intensity between the two of them as well. Yeah, I think eventually, maybe not this season, but it makes sense that those two will be an item sometime. Yeah. Which, you know, can be fun to explore as well. Although we did learn in this episode that Rutherford's been on four dates with Barnes. Yes. And she was very, hopefully, 
he gets to explain to her that it was a different personality. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty pissed now. Yeah. Well, he um, called her boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, he asked her if her spots go all the way down, which is right. Classic. But rude at the same time, obviously. Yes. I'm sure that they will uh, work it out, but that's going to be an awkward conversation for sure. Well, he wouldn't. That's the thing, though. Would he know? I guess he was aware of what his other personality was doing because he was kind Wasn't of he watching. watching. Yeah, he was. Well, watching. But d- did he need? I mean, this is kind of the how did this really work? Because you only saw him when there was a reflective surface. But which assume... meant that only obviously only Rutherford could see Rutherford. Yes. But, it you know, it was a clever way to allow the interaction before we get into the kind of tapestry mind void right or the difference with uh, unlike tapestry if you notice in the ceiling you could kind of see that it was a brain i don't know why they need yeah there that. was like a, a a texture to indicate yeah so it's <laughs> kind of tapestry like a brainish tapestry it wasn't quite a white void like tapestry or um john oliver during the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> exactly so that was a touching story and i like the way it wrapped up but let's face it, all the best lines of the episode, for the most part, are in the other, the shorter storyline. Yes. <laughs> but that thing was just packed with everything. It had everything going on, really. Even from the very beginning, when Mariner goes, no one ever signed up to Starfleet because of a booth. And Tendi goes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which obviously tracks. <laughs> and and Boimler says, what are you going to do? And Mariner says, well, I'm just going to complain the whole time and make it twice as miserable. Like, it was so right from the get-go. Just one line after another, laugh out loud, funny stuff. And then, of course, they just pack in the references. Like, all the references that they didn't pack into the previous episodes of this season all made it into this one. Yeah, I mean, there was so many Easter eggs, references, callbacks. But they're also doing a lot of callbacks to themselves. Yeah. The stakes of this was the threat of Starbase 80, which we still don't know what's going on with Starbase 80, but it's been mentioned before as the worst place to go. And when Ransom was threatening Mariner with that, did you see Boimler's face in the background? Yeah. So (laughs) Boimler's interesting in this one where... Like, because in season one, Boimler would have been super excited to be at the booth. This time he was just kind of the new Boimler, the bold Boimler. He was just kind of resigned to it. He wasn't upset about going, but he's like, yeah, let's go. Whatever. You know, it's something yeah. to do. So just, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of growth with these characters as it were. The, the funny thing about Mariner is she kept her cool through the whole episode. Really? Well, and it also shows that Captain Freeman's plan was the right was the right plan, which was ransom. Yeah, because he would kick her out. You know that. Well, yep. I mean, although he's kind of a softy, as he showed at the end. But... Well, he'd send her to Starbase 80. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah, she kept her cool the whole time. Even well, except for she destroyed, you know, Boimler's little displays and ships and things when she got frustrated. But she knew she had to stay in the booth. So she stayed in the booth. Yes, even after everyone else, because, you know, they were surrounded by their enemies, as it were, which were so the other booths were, I think I have this right. There was the the obvious one is the Independent Archaeologist Guild, which was next to next to them. Petra, it was, you know, Vash by a different name. With an accent. Yep. (laughs) Right. 
then there's the outpost scientists who are now our new the new enemy. Right. right? But they Everyone... have belts. They get to wear belts. Right. Um <laughs> there's the, the collectors. Conspir- My favorite was the collectors from the most toys. Right. Who we who who came back before, right, when they had to kind of go through the collector ship. So that's <laughs> that's kind of half TNG, half their own callback, as it were. The conspiracy theorists had right. their own booth, the truthers. And we've seen there's we've seen the conspiracy theorists on the ship. Remember? He was the one saying Wolf 359 was an inside job. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably a member of this group. Had a kind of a deep cut alien, the um, Arcturian and a human. And they had the bug from Conspiracy. So, you know, they knew about that. So they're kind right. of, on, you know, they're, they're not all wrong, as it were. The details were a little off <laughs> on the Conspiracy bugs. <laughs> and then there was a, a gamer's booth. Those aliens from DS9 who put them through the game. The move along <laughs> home guys. Yeah, exactly. The boiler's and... like, stop putting people in games. <laughs> yeah, so they're all kind of awful in their own little way. And yet Mariner kept her cool through all of that. Yeah, but she got some, Mariner got some great lines. And I think one of her dumbest lines was still one of my favorites, which is when she says to, I think to the collector, she goes, well, that is dumb and you should hate yourself. So there. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so hard, but it did. Well, because they were, you know, they were kind of saving the good stuff for Boimler, because Boimler burned them all really well once right. he got once he got going. Her her good lines were kind of just the the dorky way she was trying to promote the booth, the you know, discover the undiscovered country, right? And, Warp ten uh, excitement, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we've got new worlds, they're strange, they need seeking out. Right. I noted, I was like, Boimler's just basically shouting angry Star Trek philosophy at people. <laughs> and he tells them their ships smell like ass. Well, the thing that the thing that triggered it, it kind of reminded me of Scotty in Trouble Dribbles. Uh, yeah. He was, he was cool until someone dissed the uniform and specifically his uniform and his rank pip. Yes, specifically his pip. Yeah, that was the thing that threw him over the edge. But I liked him showing off his really cool flap. He's like, look, it's got a cool flap. Yeah, yeah, which is a nice, you know, the movie era stuff had the flap too. So yeah. the, the flap is cool. Yeah, and then he just had, he had great stuff to say to, to all of them. And there was also like, Besides sort of all the in-universe references, there were like franchise references. Like you're going to spend seven years in a windowless room and lots of debate over why do you have uniforms if you're not in the military? You know, those kinds of sort of topics that come up that are about the shows versus the actual Star Trek, you know, fictional universe. Right. Like she said, you're a quasi Navy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, because this sort of like is Starfleet military or not is open for debate. But as Boimler simplified it, which is we'd want to be out there studying fucking quasars, but the Klingon and the Borg keep on attacking, so right, we have to deal with fault. that. And you should all be thanking us for saving you, which they should. Right. You know, and we didn't even hear the that why he said this, but then he just goes after some random people defending the doctor. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Because it's seven years again, seven years, because the seven is the, the magic number. Although that is still fictionally how long they were gone, also. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, but again, they're doing their own references. He talked about how many times he failed the Kobayashi Maru. Yep. 
17 I mean, times. One thing about this episode, I was fine with it, but this is one of the mo- they're bleeping it out, but it was very profane. There was a lot of profanity in this episode. Well, whatever he said to the Ferengi that we didn't get to hear. Right. There was a whole thing there. <laughs> but after he said, don't tet me, I failed the Kobayashi Maru 17 times. He's, he said, mother effer. What's amazing is there was this much profanity and almost no Dr. Tana. I don't think she had any profanity. At this point. <laughs> so it was all pretty much coming from him and from angry young Rutherford. Right. As it were. It's true. But I loved, you know, Brad had the big switch with Mariner where he was the bad guy. But I loved that they all hung out outside the brig with him just like they do for her. And there was another kind of subtle thing there. Whereas in season one, as each time Mariner was in the brig, she had this little graffiti on the wall. And she would add a new tick to it. And he has a new graffiti. And it, it said, like, Brad's guest house. And he had one tick. Because it <laughs> was his, his first... first time in the brig. Yeah. Which meant Mariner had to do the, the, the log, the mission log, which was his favorite thing. Right. Then things kind of get serious in a different way. So the whole rivalry between the Petra, cool archaeologist character, and her really set up this thing where Petra, you know, well, obviously she was, she was right that it was all a distraction so she could steal something from the museum, which she claimed the museum had stolen it. Cause it's yeah, like a, that's what she seemed to be saying, but that there was a reward for it. Yeah. Cause this is like, you know, if it was a Federation Starfleet thing, you wouldn't think they'd be stealing the Nate Grand Nagus staff, but they, they make her out to be a, a, you know, not a thief, I guess. But she's giving Mariner an out because this season is all, you know, this episode really is pushing it of like, are you in or out of Starfleet? So making Mariner act as a Starfleet recruiter really puts a button on that where she had to defend Starfleet for a whole episode, even though she's being threatened with being kicked out of it. And now Petra had some good points about Starfleet. Well, and especially with the way that Mariner thinks of herself as this rebel who does whatever she wants. And then someone's saying like, you can't do whatever you want. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. You have to follow orders. Yeah. It got her in her, in her sensitive spots for sure. But then offered her kind of like, you know, why don't they team up? Right. Give me a call. I wonder this Mariner storyline. I mean, she's going to stay on the show. We know she's in season four, which they've already started recording. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's a period where she leaves Starfleet, maybe. What do you think? Well, I was thinking either she leaves or or there's some kind of fake out thing, almost like they did with Tom Paris in Voyager, where he was sort of pretending to be a rebel so that they could think that he left the ship. Mm, interesting. You know, like that was an early season two or three kind of thing. I think end of season two. Um, and so maybe they're trying to sort of fake us out a little bit so that we think it's possible that she would. Yeah, I think this was an interesting character. I'm not sure who voiced her, but they didn't bring in anyone big. It was one of the their kind of regular stable of uh, yeah. voice actors who did the did the voice. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if this character came back and gave her that out. Or maybe it was just used to show that because it was all about her deleting or saving the contact at the end to show that she is at least intrigued, if not wants a plan B in case 
she does get sent to Starbase 80. Right. Then she can just quit and go hang out with the archaeologist, with the independent archaeologist. I did notice a weird thing when she was saving her log. This is something, of course, I would notice because I'm also a copy editor. But she was dictating it, and yet there was a typo. And the, there was a misspelling, <laughs> which I didn't understand. But organization was spelled wrong. Just saying. Uh, you know, language evolves in the 24th century. It's all I got is, you know. Good try, but typo. Things change <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Sure. Well, yes, language evolves, but that would be more of de-evolving. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair like enough. Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else from this episode that you want to cover? No, I just I think that this episode couldn't exist if they didn't prep us for it in the previous four episodes. But I'm glad that they're paying things off and. What I liked about this episode wasn't all the references, even though it's more reference heavy. It's just I just thought it was funnier. And, you know, I'm feeling more enthusiastic about the show, I guess. Yeah, I thought the character stuff was great. And it's an episode they couldn't have done even in an earlier season. Oh, for sure. They couldn't yeah. have done it in an earlier season. So I think it really shows the evolution of the show is still funny, but still has character stakes. That's what I like. Of all the references, what's your favorite reference, if there is one? Well, I mean, there were three things I I loved the most, which was the Omicron SETI 3 flower that just kept shooting, trying to shoot pollen out at them, yeah. which I thought for sure it was going to do, that Tendi had. And I love any Move Along Home reference, and I think those collector guys were hilarious. I mean, I think my favorite was the conspiracy theorists and that they were right about conspiracy that they kind of <laughs> was it Boimler didn't know they were right he's right. like that's, Boimler that's... didn't know what Mariner did um and then people started talking about the butt bugs yes <laughs> and they're like how do you know you two don't have butt bugs <laughs> so they were wrong about that because the bugs crawled in through the mouth actually. yeah they weren't butt bugs they were yeah mouth bugs right. um but they had one of the mouth bugs that's the thing obviously it was a dead one or a model <laughs> of one yeah, and just the but the stuff around the collector's booth. I mean, there were some deep cuts on there. Oh and, yeah, you know. The, the, but they also had new stuff like the data. They had data bubble bath, <laughs> but they also had a painting of Spot. Yeah, they had some good stuff there, and the Spock helmet, a few other gems. <laughs> it's these space action. What is the, what's the official name? We all call it the Spock helmet, even though technically it came with lettering, so you could put either Kirk or Spock. It right. was your choice. But it's 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 come to be known as the Spock helmet, but it, I believe it was called the Space Action Helmet. For all those times it was used in all those episodes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is this the first time it's been? I think this must be the first time it's been used in canon then. It's now canonized as something. They didn't say what it was, but it exists in I, the East. Am the I crazy to think it's been on Lower Decks before? It must, you know, it must have been. It has. I think it has been like in a closet or in. I feel like it's been. Yeah, seen. it's too yeah. good of a thing not to have used before. Yeah. On the show. But we still I'm not sure if we've seen anyone wearing one necessarily. <laughs> so we don't really know. <laughs> so we what still have for. that to look forward to. Indeed. All right. So let's wrap things up with our bits of the week. 
Why don't you start? Mine is actually something that was on the site a few weeks ago. It slipped through the cracks, but I want to bring it back because I thought it was really fun. And it comes from an NBC show, which is also still on Peacock, called Who Do You Think You Are? It's a show, I'm pretty sure it's funded by Ancestry.com. And it's about celebrities researching their ancestry. And Zachary Quinto was on the season finale. And they found this kind of just weird Star Trek reference in his family's past. I mean, not really a Star Trek reference. So in 1899, his great-grandfather wrote a letter to the editor. And in that letter to the editor, he used the phrase, live long and prosper. 68 years before that phrase existed on Star Trek. crazy. So apparently it turns out that is a line from a 19th century uh, stage play, a Rip Ran Vehicle play, and it would have been popular at the time. So what we don't know is whether Theodore Sturgeon, that's where he got it. Because even though Leonard Nimoy came up with the hand salute, the line of dialogue was from the script. Right. And so, you know, this is a possible new origin story for where that came from originally. Yeah, it could be. We don't know. But Quinto was like so blown away. Like it's it's great to watch the clip, which is on the site where he where they showed him this because it's like when I saw it, I'm like, oh, my God, this, this has got to be a joke. Right. How is it possible? But it's real. That's crazy. Okay, go ahead. What's your thing of the week? Mine is a little star. I figure it's been, what, maybe six weeks since I talked about the Delta Flyers podcast. So (laughs) from their podcast, Brian Fuller was talking to them about uh, the Barge of the Dead episode. And he was talking about Ron Moore and what a great mentor he was and how he, he said he performed nobly and maintained his dignity. And he really saw him as a mentor and a teacher. So one thing he wanted to do for Ron when he was there, Brian went to the props guy and said, can you make a batleth for Ron? And he paid for, he said, I'll pay for it, but I want him to have his own batleth. And then by the time it was ready, because it took a few weeks, Ron was actually leaving. So he said, there was this kind of romantic silhouette of Ron leaving the heart building, walking out to his car with his batleth. <laughs> like on his, you know, like on his last, he said it was a beautiful image to sort of put the crown on his time there. I love that Brian Fuller did that for him. And the way he talks about Ron Moore is so lovely to hear. And then just the image of Ron Moore, like it's his last day goodbye. And he's got this bat left as he's walking out to his car. I'm imagining one of those banker boxes full of just office crap and a bat left on top of it. I figure he was holding the bat left in his hand separately. That's what I picked. Because he said it was the silhouette. So I'm just imagining that. Okay. So, but such a good, quick, short fun story and another reason everybody should go listen to that podcast (laughs) after you listen to this podcast after you listen to this podcast then you should go and listen to that one good choices (laughs) so therefore thank you for listening to the all access star trek podcast again we are here every friday ready to talk to you about the latest episode of star trek and what's happening in star trek So come to the site, leave us comments, go to iTunes and review us. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Goodbye. Bye.